I guess that although I grew up in a, a, a non-church family, somehow or other I've known the story of Naaman uh, almost a, as long as my life big, has been. And as I read this story again and again and, uh, uh, and preach on it and, uh, and ponder it and think it over, the hero of the story always seems to me to be the little girl who talks to Naaman's wife about the prophet in Israel. Uh, and this little girl had probably experienced an awful lot of discomfort and fearful things, even in her short life. Because the Syrians, who we're talking about Syria here, the Syrians had this pattern of bullying their neighbor, neighborly nations. They went in and, and sent a raiding party in, burn a village, kill all the people, and in this instant, they came back with a child and uh, sold her into slavery. And yet this girl, for all that she'd experienced, remembered the things that had been taught her back there in Israel about the Lord God Almighty that he has great loving kindness. The God of the Syrians was a dark, foreboding figure. But the God of Israel was the creator God who is full of grace. And her talking to her mistress about this sets Naaman probably prodded pretty hard by his wife, uh, searching for a cure for the skin disease which he uh, was suffering. Leprosy is the word which is used, and leprosy is an umbrella word in the Old Testament to describe all sorts of skin disease. Uh, very likely it wasn't Hansen's disease, which we know today as leprosy. Now, Naaman was a soldier, he was a diplomat. Uh, he was a key figure in the then wealthy and powerful nation of Syria. And the strategy of Syria was that of bullying all those who surrounded them, of harassment, of harassment, of really making it unpleasant for anyone to stand up against them in any kind of way. And I suspect this little girl who found her way into Naaman's home was a child whose pleasantness and sweetness was such that no one in the Syrian army had the nerve or the stomach to kill her. And so she became a slave. I always think of her as being a little bit like my youngest granddaughter. Abby is eight. Abby is one of those child children who sort of is always out to please people, who always seeks to give advice, even if it's not particularly good advice, but she's got advice, plenty of it. Even if uh, she's not really quite sure what she's talking about. But this little girl knew what she was talking about. She was talking about Elisha, 
the prophet there in her home country of Israel. Naaman went to Ben-Hadad the king. Ben-Hadad the king uh, wrote a letter to the king of Israel. And so unexpectedly, uh, at the king's palace in Samaria, Naaman turns up. Uh, to rob some words from Lord Byron, his cohorts all gleaming in silver and gold. He came surrounded by a retinue. This was intimidating. And it was probably designed to be intimidating as well. Israel's king, when he heard the message from Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, and when he saw this retinue in the courtyard outside his palace, outside his palace, he considered it immediately as a trick. What Ben Hadad was trying to do was to, to put him into a corner and then use him as a punch, a punch bag in some kind of way. And he tore his clothes because he saw no other way to handle this. How can Ben-Hadad send to me someone who is looking for a healing from an awful skin disease? Elisha heard what was happening in the palace and sent a message to the king of Israel. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him, that is Naaman, come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Well, the king of Israel uh, didn't know a lot about piety. He knew a bit about power. And he knew that he needed time in order to say how he would respond to it. So he sent Naaman to see this prophet Elisha who was a little bit of a pain in his side in so many ways. And he sent the message, basically, you heal him. You said you can. And so this retinue, goodness knows how many people there were in it, soldiers included, this retinue uh, pulled up outside uh, the humble mud brick home of the prophet Elisha. And the contrast would have been ridiculous. All this extraordinary military equipment and uh, things shining and uh, horses and chariots and glory knows what, pulling up outside a rather shabby mud brick home where no doubt Elisha lived. And he expected something grand to then happen. The grand thing that happened was that Elisha stayed behind his closed door and sent his assistant with a message. The message was, go and bathe seven times in the River Jordan and you will be cleansed. 
Naaman felt that he had been absolutely insulted. He was a man who was used to people uh, bowing and scraping before him. And he only sent his servant to come with the message. He didn't even come and see me. And he uh, threw a tantrum. Powerful men are very often known to throw tantrums. He hasn't given me the respect that I deserve. Therefore, why should I do what he tells me to do? Uh, the River Jordan was not at this particular point further north of the Red Sea, of the Dead Sea, particularly pleasant. It was more of a muddy dribble at some times of the year. That the two great rivers of Damascus, who had their origins in the mountains of Lebanon and would bring water down, gushing down into Damascus, turning it into one of the most beautiful cities in the ancient world. They were real rivers. Why can't I go and dip in one of those? Nehemiah's impatient anger knew no limit, and he rants, and he refuses, until one of his officers surrounding him comes up and says to him, probably terrified of what the response is going to be from Nehemiah, but he felt that he had to say it. My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? It's hard to imagine what Nehemiah's immediate response would have been. But finally, he saw that he has been given a bit of wisdom and he goes, probably not particularly eagerly, to the nearest bank of the River Jordan. And he was told to bathe there. Actually, if you look at the text of Scripture, what it says is he dipped himself in. There's a difference between bathing in the river and just sort of dipping into it. But that was as far as Nehemiah was able to go in obedience to what the prophet had said to him. And then the most extraordinary thing happened. As he came out of the water, his skin had that lack of blemish which a child's skin has. And he looked at himself and he saw what the God of Israel had done to him by being obedient to the God of Israel's prophet. And so what he does is he turns his retinue around and they go back to the mud brick home of Elisha and he shows himself to Elisha who now comes out to see him and say, sees himself, I'm cleansed I'm, and I'm converted. The God of Israel has done for me something which is fully beyond my understanding, beyond the understanding of all the doctors and physicians and priests in Damascus. And so Elisha affirms him and he goes back to Syria ready to be as faithful to the God of Israel as he possibly could be. He had become a servant. 
of the God who was the creator of heaven and earth, who was a loving kindness kind of God, not the grim God Rimmon that they worshipped in Damascus. And what we see happening is Naaman being transformed. It took humility, and he finally realized that, to go and dip himself in the River Jordan. And it is with humility that we come to know and be known by the God who is the creator of all things, who himself humbly came in the person of his son to redeem us by his death upon the cross. And it is with humility that we open our hearts to God But the story raises a question which it actually never answers. It is, what happened to that little girl? The one who set this all in motion and led to the healing and the wholeness of this great man of Syria. How was she treated when he got home? We're not given a clue. Well, we actually, we are given a clue. If grace, God's grace, had turned Naaman's heart and cleansed it as he had cleansed his sin, then that child would have been drawn into the family of the household and become almost something like an adopted daughter to Naaman because that's what he owed her, the Syrian army having taken the rest of her family away probably at the end of a sword. Perhaps at some time later as an adult, she was able to go back to Israel, her exile heart requited by the opportunity to go and see where she grew up and meet the people amongst whom she grew up until such time as the uh, Syrians had stolen her away. And I suspect that's what happened. Because where else would the writers of the kings gotten the story from if it hadn't been from her with all the details? The Almighty God is lovingly kind to us and asks of us a similar response when we yield our wholeness to Him and He gives us wholeness back in Jesus Christ. If you go to the book of James, the letter of James, it makes the point that there is no such thing as genuine faith unless there is obedient action which goes with it. And that's exactly the way that Naaman treated this little girl, I suspect. Amen.